Amen. I tell you, did your feet move? Did anyone else's feet move just now while we were listening? I love that. Thank you so much. We're going to talk about Christmas today. Do you have Christmas traditions? Yeah? Some of you do. I have thought of a few. Uh, Maybe you decorate your tree the weekend after Thanksgiving. Some might do that. Um, Maybe you have a special Christmas meal that you reserve for the 25th or maybe a special breakfast. Some people get matching pajamas. Some, as I saw, have uh, a Christmas play performed for the household. Some might open one gift on Christmas Eve, reserving the rest for the morning. Maybe you go to the Alabama Theater and watch a special movie uh, each year as a family. Before Christmas morning, Julie and I would take baby Jesus out of the manger and we would hide it somewhere in the house. And we would task our children with finding Jesus. And, and here's the point. You cannot have Christmas without Jesus. So, yeah, we enjoyed that, and I think it was meaningful to us, but there is a deeper meaning to what we were doing. So you have Jesus not fulfilled the promises of God, the promises of old, the prophecies of old. If he had not fulfilled that, you and I would have no reason to celebrate today. Let's pray before we get into God's word this morning. Heavenly Father, we are grateful for your word and for how you teach us, for showing us the record of the beginning and your promises and the end. Lord, I'm thankful that we have hope in you, and I'm thankful that you are a faithful God who clings to his word and is true to his word. May we hear it. May we be changed by it in Jesus' name. Amen. The past month, as we've gone through the Advent wreath, we've had readings each week and we've experienced uh, the lessons or messages on hope and joy and peace and love. And today the center candle is the Christ candle. And we're going to be focusing on that. The arrival of Christ. However, as I considered this message... It's really easy to focus the message on the events that surround the birth of Christ. And it's intriguing as we read through those and see how God did this great miracle on this earth. However, this morning we're going to focus on the identity of the baby in the manger. And for that, we're going to turn to Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 20. Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 20. In your mind's eye, perhaps you can go to Bethlehem right now. You're standing there in maybe a cave or a stable, a structure of some sort, but there is a feeding trough laying before you with a child in it. And this is what you could legitimately read about the child before you. Colossians 1, beginning with verse 15. 
He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Now, if you want to keep your Bibles open to there, we're just going to walk through these verses as we pull out the characteristics of the baby Jesus. I begin with, he is the image of the invisible God. Some of you have seen my father. He will be here next week. But many have said, I favor my father. I did not believe it growing up, but when I hit my mid-twenties and I saw a picture of my dad and me sitting beside each other, I said, my heavens, I look just like him. So Julie knew what she was getting into when she married me because she could look ahead 30 years and say, that's what he's going to be like. (laughs) Some say that my children resemble me. I consider that a compliment. Not everyone else does. But hear me. Jesus, the son of God, does not favor God at all. Now, as the air leaves this place, let me now explain. He is the physical representation of God himself. Hebrews 1.3 says this, Jesus is the exact imprint of God. John 1.18 says, no one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. John 14.9, Jesus said, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. There is a reason why Jesus is the exact imprint of God. I'm going to tell you that right now. Because he is God. Now, y'all need to repeat this with me because it is critical that we understand this. Jesus is God. Say that with me. Jesus is is God. That's why this is so important. This is why it's so critical that the prophecies of old, the anointed one of God, God himself made flesh, was born in a manger. Not someone who resembled God, not someone who was a lot like God, but an exact imprint, a physical representation of God himself. This is why they traveled to worship him. Verse 15 says he is the firstborn of all creation. Now, thinking through that, he is the firstborn of all creation. How do we make sense 
of the birth 2,000 years ago, and then we read something like this that said, but he's the firstborn of all creation. How do we reconcile those two thoughts here together? Well, the word firstborn does not mean what we think it means. If I think of firstborn, Matthew is my firstborn. I'm thinking of birth order. That's not what this word means. When we look at firstborn in Scripture, it means that Jesus existed before creation, that he is superior to all creation. Since Jesus existed before all creation, that means he is eternal, which means he's just like God in that respect as well. Verse 16 says he is the creator. Testing your knowledge. Who created the heavens and the earth in Genesis 1-1? Some of you know that. It's God, right? That's good. Maybe we need to start a new series beginning in Genesis. In the beginning, and we read that word, God created the heavens and the earth. The Hebrew name for God here in Genesis 1-1 is Elohim. What makes that name unique is that it is written in the plural form in Hebrew. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now I read Colossians 1-16 that says... For by him, we're speaking of Jesus, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. The preposition that's used here when it says by him means that Jesus is the means of creation. Now tell me. Who created the heavens and the earth in Genesis 1-1? God. But didn't we just read that Jesus did? Is this the first time in Scripture that we would read that Christ is the creator? No. In fact, the butlers read part of that this morning. In John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, listen closely. In the beginning was the word... The word was with God. The word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Now we know what Elohim means when it's plural form because he was with God the Father, God the Son, God the Father. And if we read the next verse, the Spirit was hovering over the waters. They were all together in the beginning. But listen, it continues. All things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. So God the Father created the heavens and the earth through God the Son. It's important that we hear this. It's important that we acknowledge. How does that work? Well, if Jesus is the means of creation, God the Father would say what we have read all of our lives, let there be light. And Jesus, the creator, creates light. God the Father says, let there be seas, let there be land, let there be creatures, let there be the moon, let there be the sun, let there be humankind. 
and Jesus creates it. He is God. All things were created by him, through him, and for him. We could say it was all created for his glory. It's all to be turned back to him. Verse 17 says, he is eternal and sovereign. Jesus is eternally before all things. And he holds things together in perfect order. Many today choose to deny God's existence. And they attempt to explain that the exquisite order of our universe somehow came to be through chaos and chance. I came across an article this week. The November 2021 Physics Magazine. There was an article. Listen to the title of the article. Our universe is finally tuned for life, and there's an explanation for why is it so. I thought, this is promising. The great physicists of the world have come together, and they're going to explain why we're in such fine-tuning in our universe. Well, physicists from the U.S., from France, and Korea collaborated for the article to present the the answer. Well, I read the article, and surprisingly, there was no explanation at all, not even close as to why we are finely tuned for life. As I read through their technical jargon, I repeatedly saw the phrase, for some reason, (laughs) for some reason. So when they got into a difficult place that they could not explain, they'd say, for some reason, this would happen. For some reason, they coexisted. For some reason, there was the perfect balance for us to breathe, for this to be created. Well, let me put that into practice. Some of you know that I am mechanically challenged. I can Google a lot of things, but if you give me tools and an engine, they'll stay separated for the most part. But what if I were to tell you, I'm going to explain to you internal combustion and how it moves this 2,000-pound vehicle from point A to point B. And you all are saying, finally, I get to know how this works. And I say something like this. First, you get your key. And you sit down in the driver's seat, you put your key in, and you turn it. And for some reason, the engine starts. You put your car in drive, you push down on the accelerator. For some reason, the car begins to move. And you can continue to do this, and for some reason, it doesn't explode. Now that you're all fully satisfied with my response, you know the frustration I had when I read through this article. They have no idea what they're talking about. They're doing everything to dance around that there's a creator God. In fact, if I, if I took that article and I took that phrase for some reason out and inserted God, it made sense. All they have to do is acknowledge that God is the creator of all things. He has finally tuned this universe for life. He is the creator. Jesus created everything, and he keeps it in perfect order for his glory. 
Verse 18 says he's the head of the church. That means he's the foundation. He is the capstone of his church. He supplies the church with life through his spirit. He gives gifts to his followers. I'm talking about spiritual gifts. And then he adds those followers to a body so that they can serve him. Through his word, Jesus nourishes and cleanses the church. And funny, he doesn't ask us for our opinion. He doesn't ask us for his advice. He tells us how to operate within his church. And out of gratitude, we love God. And we love each other. And we love the lost and express the love of God to the lost by being his witnesses. Now I want to put a period right there for just a moment. You know, each week we, we begin this part of, of our time together with giving you an opportunity to report how you have shared the gospel with someone. And some of you might have been relieved that I didn't ask that question today. How did you share your story? Who did you pray for this week? It's important that we are witnesses to the world around us for this very reason. That's our responsibility. And if there are that many people out there, half the population of the world who have never surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, that's half the population of this world that will go to hell without him. It's important that we share. Some of you may be discouraged because last week no one shared. I had no less than four people come up after the service and throughout the week sharing how they shared this past week. They said, I just didn't feel right standing up in service. I didn't feel like bragging on myself. And let me just say, you're not bragging on yourself. You're bragging on what God's doing through you in obedience to what he's called you to do. I too had something that I could have shared that I did not. But I had an opportunity to read to a bunch of kids the, the, uh, the history of the candy cane or the legend of the candy cane, which pointed to Christ. In the stripes, and you turned it upside down, it's the letter J. You turn it the other way, and it's a shepherd's hook, and we're able to connect all those dots together. But we seize the opportunity to share with children that way. We just need to acknowledge that we're doing it. And it's not bragging on yourself, it's encouraging the body of Christ. So next week when I ask, be willing to share for the glory of God, not for yours, but for his Jesus builds his church through his yielded people. That means we're being obedient to what he's called us to do. Verse 18 says he is preeminent. He's the firstborn from the dead. Boy, that could get confusing right there. Paul's not saying that he is the first one to be raised from the dead because we know as Jesus was alive, he raised to others to death, from death to life. But what he is saying here as preeminent, the firstborn from the dead, is he, Jesus, is the most important of them all to have been raised from the dead. You see, we're saved from our sins in the crucifixion of Christ, but we are given life through his resurrection. So therefore, he is the most important one to have been raised from the dead. Not resuscitated, but raised to live for eternity. And if that's the one who gives us the ability and the offering of having eternal life. 
In everything, Jesus is superior. That's what it means to be preeminent. Well, how superior is Jesus? This little baby lying in a manger, how superior is he? Let me read Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 through 11. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, So that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That means every demon, every angel, every atheist, every agnostic, every idol worshiper, every child, every adult will bow their knee before Jesus Christ and confess that he is Lord. No one has a choice in this matter. But listen to the difference. Only those who have surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus Christ know him as Savior. Everyone will know him as Lord at that time, but only a few will know him as Savior. And I pray that you're in that category today. The word translated preeminence is used nowhere else in the New Testament. It it magnifies the unique position that Jesus Christ is all, and he is in all. Verse 19 says he is the dwelling place of the fullness of God. So the infinite God born in the flesh is also the permanent home of God the Father with all of his divine power and attributes. And since Jesus Christ is God, he can do what no created man can do, and that is to reconcile mankind to God. He was the holy, sinless lamb of God. Verse 20 says he's the reconciler. This lamb of God would give his life for the world's sins. See, reconciliation can only happen between man and God by God. We can't work ourselves to that. We can't earn ourselves to that. It's only by God's hand that this can happen. And it is in Christ that man was reconciled to God. The baby born in a manger. But it's not the birth of Christ that accomplished this. It's not that he lived a really good life and taught really well that accomplished this. It was brought by his death that peace was made between man and God. And as Paul says, it's by the blood of the cross. Jesus is our redeemer and reconciler. In this season, we often sing of a cold, dark, poor helpless baby in a manger. We have manger scenes of Mary and Joseph and the baby Jesus. We celebrate the hope and the joy and the peace and the love and the Christ with our advent. But we can't miss this. God the Son was born to glorify God the Father. And he glorifies God the Father as he humbly obeys to the point of death, even death on a cross. 
Jesus, the exact imprint of God. God in the flesh was born to die for you. Man, does that change anything? Does that stir your spirit? The baby we love to sing about came to die for you so that you would have a chance to go to heaven, to have eternal life with God the Father, so that you would not be eternally separated in the darkness from him. The shepherds came to baby Jesus and they worshiped him and they left praising him publicly. As we'll look at next week, the wise men made their way to see Jesus. And they worshiped him and they offered him gifts. And I would ask you this morning, how will you worship the king of kings this morning? Recognizing who he is, how will you worship him today? Have you received the gift that's been given you? Have you opened it this morning? When Julie and I talk to children, and Jill talk to children about the gospel, we want to make it as simple as possible. We don't want to complicate matters. It's the gospel that saves, the truth of God's word. We know that from God's word, the wages of sin is death. The wage is, uh, is a term that not everyone understands uh, in our younger generations. But the wage is something you earn. It's something you deserve. The wages of sin is death. It doesn't say which sin. It doesn't say how big the sin needs to be. The wages of sin is death. We already know that we all sin. If you've ever lied, you're a sinner. If you've ever dishonored your parents, you're a sinner. If you've ever turned your back on God, you're a sinner. If you've ever stolen anything, you're a sinner. As we look at that, we understand that without much calculation, we have earned death because of our lives. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. That's just the opposite of what we've earned. And it's a free gift. It's nothing that we have earned or nothing that we deserve. But God has given us the opportunity. He's given us this gift of eternal life. And there's only one way to achieve that. The rest of that verse says, in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's the only way you can have the gift of eternal life is through Jesus Jesus Christ. The word Christ means he is the Messiah. He is the anointed one. He is the promised one of old. Jesus Christ, the Lord. The Lord, he is God, but he is the God of your life. That means you have to surrender the authority of your life to him. It's like, God, I lay my life down. I submit myself to you. You be the boss of my life. And when you come to that point, I'm a sinner, you are God, and I need a Savior. When you come to that point in your life and you surrender your life to his authority, repenting from your life, turning to him, you know what he does? He saves you. This little baby born in a manger saves you because of his death.
and resurrection. Wow, that's open right here for us this morning. If you've never received it, he offers it to you right now. We're going to have an invitation in just a moment. The invitation is simply this. You're invited to receive the gift of God that's presented to you. If you've never received it before, today's the day. It's the day of salvation. Receive the gift. But if you have received it already, this is a day of salvation that we praise God for what he has done on our behalf. That he came for this purpose to die for us. That he has given us life. He's given us spiritual gifts. He's given us a church home that we might serve him. He's given us a responsibility and equipped us to share the gospel outside of these walls. We praise him for that. How will you respond to the King of Kings this morning. I'm going to ask Ryan to come up and, and Mike as they lead us through an invitation this morning. The invitation is simply this. The altar is open. I know you don't have to come to the altar, but if you're receiving Jesus Christ as the Lord of your life, you need to tell somebody. Maybe you have a question. I don't know what that means. I just know I need it. Would you just come and let us pray with you this morning? How will you worship the King of Kings right now? Some may just fall to your knees. Just like the wise men, shepherds fall before the Lord. Worship him. If you need Jesus, would you come today? Let me pray and then we'll sing. You are God in the flesh. The exact imprint of the infinite God. Lord, there's none higher than you. No, none that's more superior than you. You are worthy of worship. You're worthy of praise. You're worthy of our lives. And Lord, I pray that this morning, if we don't have that right, that we will. Lord, that we would surrender to you. Lord, that those who already know you as Lord and Savior, Lord, I pray that that it will be in order. The things that we have tried to control, the things that we have allowed to get in the way, Lord, that we would set that aside. Lord, that you may be glorified here today. Thank you for being our Savior. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.